is, and a little while after the message is over, you'll have a chance to drop that in the offering plate, and that's, there's a way that you can communicate with us about maybe something going on in your life spiritually, or maybe you got new information, but also there's a place in there where you can communicate with Tammy Miller, our children's pastor. You can sign up to serve at Vacation Bible Camp, or if you want to help with the ministry that she was sharing with you last week, you can do that as well. Um, I want to, we're going to start a brand new series today. And uh, so if you got your message outline, would you pull that out? I'm going to invite you to grab that. What's the name of the new series? <laughs> if I only had one sermon or one message to preach. Now, if you're kind of new to Harvest Point, let me share with you that um, God has blessed me to be here for 17 years in ministry um, with this church. It's a great church. It's a wonderful church. Um, but in the providence of God, and you'll hear more about this later, he is, he's moving me to a new, new ministry. I like to say it this way. You guys are sending me forth to a new ministry, and God's moving a new pastor in here, and you're going to get a chance to at least meet him by video at the close of my message today. His name is Jonathan Anderson. And um, when you go through a transition like this, one of the things that, that we are, we've been talking a lot about here at Harvest Point is that transitions in life are not, um, they're not anormal. Is that, did I say that the right way? What's that? They're not abnormal. Thank you. They're not abnormal. They're, yeah. They're not, uh, transitions in life come and go. They're everywhere, right? Um, and so I hope that you have experienced already a little bit as we get, as we move further through this transition, our hope has been that we will have fun with it. Um, because, you know, this is, this can be a great thing at, that we are leaning into because it's God's plan. And so, um, the second thing is we, we know that it's very familiar, and so uh, change happens. I was talking to somebody right before worship began who is trying to sell their home, and they're moving to a new job at a new place, and I was thinking, man, this is life, you know? It's, it's familiar, and then lastly, it's unforgettable. You know, most churches, if they ever change pastors, they hardly talk about it. It happens in the middle of the night, you know, and the ships pass in the middle of the night. That's not us. Um, God is sending us a phenomenal pastor, and you're going to be so blessed by him. And as I said before, you guys are sending me forth. And so as I look towards the last uh, four weeks that I have here as your lead pastor here at Harvest Point, before Jonathan takes um, that, that baton and starts running as your new pastor, I thought to myself, what are some messages that I would want to share as the founding pastor of this church? I've been with you running for 17 years um, I want to be very intentional about some of the last things we study together. <laughs> so, um, and I don't want to get emotional about it. I just want to be real, okay? I, I want to leave you with some things that are just at the core of my heart and, and, and I hope are at the core of this church for decades to come. And so today we're going to start a brand new series called If I Only Had One Message or Sermon to Preach. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? I'm cheating, aren't I? I mean, I'm doing a series about if I only had one, okay? Stephen, you'll turn a series into anything. Yes, I will, okay. So I'm going to do a series called If I Only Had One Sermon to Preach, and I'm going to preach to you over the next four weeks four different messages that are, to me, the heart of what the church is supposed to be, and I mean that both as a corporate place, but I mean that as us as Christ followers. And so today is the first one of a four-part series and uh, we're going to be studying a parable, okay? Now, Jesus told some incredible parables. But more than anything, I mean, when Jesus normally told a story or told a parable, there was a shock factor to it, all right? He had a way of telling a story that would 
kind of flip the, the cart upside down. And um, so what is a parable? Before we read the parable that we're going to study today from Matthew 20, and I invite you to grab your Bible and open up with me to Matthew chapter 20. Before we read that parable, let me just tell you that if you, if you think about all the stories that Jesus told, they can, those parables kind of break down into different categories. Jesus told stories about the kingdom. That's what we're going to read today. As a matter of fact, he starts out by saying, let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like, okay? And then sometimes Jesus told stories about grace, and then sometimes Jesus told stories about judgment. And he was basically pointing, hey, this is, this is what it's going to look like if you don't do life God's way. And uh, today is a story, a parable, a kingdom um, uh, narrative that gives us a glimpse of the kingdom, but also gives us a glimpse at God. We get to see the heart of God, who God is. This is so cool because nobody, nobody knows the Father better than the Son, right? And so Jesus begins to tell this story. And we're going to read it all the way through, and then I'm going to go back and we're going to break it apart, okay? Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says this. Oh, oh, you know what? Before we read that, can we just pray a prayer together of openness? God's Word is powerful, and we want it to land in our souls and bear fruit. Amen? So let you just pray a prayer of openness with me this morning. Father, whatever you have to share with me this morning, I just pray that you would open my spirit. Open my mind. I give you my mind. I, I give you my attention right now. I focus in upon your word. And we believe your word is life. We believe it is truth. The Bible says that it is like a double-edged sword able to pierce beyond bone and marrow straight to the spirit of a person. So we just invite you to, to pierce us this morning. Show us where we are not like you and reveal to us who you are. And Lord, I pray that we would become today more of your reflection. Do a good, eternal work in us. We invite you, Holy Spirit, speak to us, mold us, shape us. And we will follow you, Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. Jesus was telling this story, and he said, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, and he sent them into his vineyard. And about nine in the morning, he went out, and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and, and I'll pay you whatever is right. And so they went. And then he went out again and about noon and about three in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out, and he found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and then going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. 
didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the ones who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first. And the first will be last. So in order to understand this parable, you have to understand what's going on in actually chapter Matthew, uh, chapter 19 of the book of Matthew. The disciples are sitting around with Jesus, and there's a whole bunch of other people listening on as well. And one of them asked Jesus, well, what's going to happen with us? As a matter of fact, they, they even put it this way. We gave up everything to come and follow you. We gave up all of our dreams and our jobs and our families to come and follow you. What's out there for us? You know, it's kind of like we expect good things. Now, give us the picture. We've given everything away to follow you, Jesus, the rabbi. And it's in that context that Jesus gives them a picture of, of the kingdom of heaven, how they will be rewarded. But then he turns around and tells this parable. It's as if to say, listen, I want you to see the kingdom of heaven and what God is like. And then at the very end, he says that last line, which unlocks the entire parable. The first will be last. And the kingdom of heaven, the last will be first. Is it okay if we take just a little bit of time to break it down? So when we read the story, the landowner comes out early in the morning. And he needs workers in the vineyard. Now get the picture. Anytime you hear a parable, always try to envision it in your mind. It must have been a huge vineyard to need so many workers, and it must have needed a lot of care and a lot of nurture. And so he goes out early in the morning, and he hires as many laborers that are there to come into the vineyard, and he tells them, I'm going to pay you a denarius. Now, you must understand this. A denarius was a Roman soldier's pay for the day, all right? A denarius is not what peasants made in a day. Denarius is what Roman soldiers made in a day. So if you were a, a, a vineyard worker and you were going to be paid a Roman soldier's pay for the day, you felt like you had it pretty good, all right? So he'd offered them a very good wage for one day's work. And there they go. They head out into the vineyard. And then you know the story, right? Nine o'clock. Notice the time intervals. At nine o'clock and then again at noon in the middle of the day, he comes out. Each time there's more people out there looking for work, but they don't have work, and he sends them on into the vineyard. Nine and noon and three, and then even as late as five in the afternoon, he goes out, sees the workers, sends them into the vineyard. I was reading this parable this past week, and I just thought about the, the uniqueness of what Jesus built into his story to explain the kingdom. Because Jesus said, then the landowner comes out to his foreman, and he said, I want you to call all the workers, get the picture, call all of them together. Can you imagine them all gathering around, you know, kind of in a big circle all around the person who was going to pay them? They're all gathered around, these people who've been working, some of them have sweat, sweated a lot more than others, right? And, and then he says, but here's the deal, I want you to pay the last ones first. And so he hands out the denarius and as he hands out the denarius to all those five o'clock workers who only been working maybe an hour, an hour and a half or something, he, pay, he pans out the denarius to every one of them. Can you imagine the hope that swelled up in the rest of the crowd? They might have thought that they were going to get even a larger sum of money, right? And then he goes through, just backing it up all the way, three o'clock workers, 
noon workers, nine o'clock workers, then early morning workers, they all get paid the same thing. Now, this is where the shock factor comes because it doesn't sound what? It doesn't sound fair, does it? This is not fair. And so they get, I like what the Bible says. The Bible says the early morning workers started to grumble. I mean, there might have been kind of like a little riot starting to happen here, you know? And they said, wait a minute. You paid the guys who only worked here an hour, hour and a half. You paid them the same thing you paid us. We've been here all day long. And did you get the heart of the landowner? Whether you agree with the heart of the landowner or not, that's not the big point. Did you get the heart of the landowner? The landowner says, hey, listen, I've not treated you unfair. Well, that certainly feels unfair, by the way. No, I've not treated you unfair. You agreed to work for denarius. And, it, and if I want to be generous and I want to pay them more than probably what they might have deserved, I can do with my money what I want to do with my money. You get that? Boy, that's kind of hard. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But that's kind of hard, okay? And he looks at them and he says that, that wonderful phrase. He says, he said, are you envious? Because I am generous. You see that message outline, and I'm going to get you to write in, fill in some blanks. Uh, so you might want to grab that and grab a pen. But notice that big black box in the message outline there is a big question, okay? Was the landowner less than fair to the all-day workers, or was he more than fair to the one-hour workers? You know, that's kind of the key for figuring out this parable, if you're going to understand the, the heart of the landowner and the kingdom of God. Was he more than fair or less than fair? What was he? Now, before we break this apart, can I just pause for a minute and say, um, real quickly, raise your hand if you've ever felt like you were treated unfairly. Raise your hand. That's all of us, right? All of us. Man, what happens? Can you just, can you, with your mind and your heart, can you kind of go back to a moment maybe where you felt, you, you know what it feels like to be treated unfairly, you know? Have you ever been standing at a Walmart checkout line and all of a sudden, right before you got to the front, they closed down the little thing and all of a sudden everybody else ran to the other lines? You're like, wait a minute, I was in front, you know? Have you ever felt that way? It's uh, a little stupid feeling, isn't it? I mean, on the, what is it that makes you feel like you deserve something different? I don't know if it's pride. I don't know if it's greed. Here's what I do know it is for sure. We have this sense of justice, and it's built inside of us, right? And we want to be treated right. We want to be treated fairly. Boy, did I learn this when I first got married. My wife had grown up in a fair home, okay? Everything had to be fair. As a matter of fact, her mama, when she went out and bought Christmas presents, made everybody's Christmas presents balance out to the penny, okay? She would even go buy gum and stuff like that just to make sure that it was fair, okay? Fair. What is this fairness about? If you have your pen, let me just, I'm going to invite you to write down a few things. And here's what I want, I want to just start with, and you maybe just find a little blank space, maybe flip your outline over to the back, just write down the word, that's not fair, exclamation point. That's not fair. Boy, we hear children say it, sometimes we hear adults say it, we feel it, right? That's not fair. Can I just tell you, I'm going to give you a definition for that, for that phrase, that feeling, that moment when you experience a that's not fair moment, okay? 
And I just, so that's not fair. Equals, got your hand, got your hand, equals, and then I want you just to write out to the side of that. This, that not, that's not fair. It's the desire to get what we deserve. It's the desire to get what we deserve. Now, let me pause there, and if you are one of those faithful people and you are taking notes, right? Oh, that's awesome. Okay, great. Now, I want you to, I want you to do something to that little phrase you wrote. You ever forget a word when you're writing a sentence? You ever done that before? And you just got to go back and insert a word? Okay? Would you just, with that little, little arrow thing right above, right, right between the word the and the word desire, just draw you a little arrow up, and now let's put a word in there, okay? And here's the word mistaken. That's not fair is really the mistaken desire to get what we deserve. Now, if you've been a Christ follower for any length of time, you've already figured out that you don't deserve really anything good at all. You know, you really deserve, the Bible says every one of us deserves death, punishment, we, the wages of sin, right? I mean, if we really got what we deserved, you don't you don't want what you deserve, okay? Can you say amen? Yeah. You don't want what you deserve. But there's something inside of you, this desire, it's a mistaken desire, that makes you want to feel like you want to get what you deserve. And that's not, that's, that's different from the kingdom of God. And Jesus wants to just break that whole fairness thing. That whole fair thing. Now, don't get me wrong. God is a God of justice. But he wants, you'll see in just a minute, in multiple places I'm going to show you in Scripture, where he says, you know what? Getting into the kingdom, serving the kingdom, being around the kingdom, being a disciple for the kingdom, working in the vineyard of the kingdom, it's not about fair. This is not the way God works. Not fair, okay? Got to tell you a story, a real-life story that I read this week that inspired me. You ever heard the name LaGuardia? You ever heard that name before? Yeah, the airport, right? Okay, so... So LaGuardia was actually the mayor of New York, right? You know that's why they named the airport after him. LaGuardia was the mayor of New York. He served three terms, 12 years as a New York City mayor in the late years of the Depression from 1934 to 1945. So he actually served the city of New York during the latter years of the Depression and into World War II, a very critical time for our nation this man named LaGuardia was one of the most famous, fantastic mayors for one of our largest cities. Now, LaGuardia became so popular because they, they called him a people's mayor. I mean, he would go out and serve the city. He would go, you would see him go serve in a soup kitchen. He wasn't just somebody who was calling the shots from a, from a pol political standpoint. He was a person who was serving people all the time. And the story is told one time about him. He, he was a lawyer, and he, he had been a judge. One time he went, he showed up for a court, and he was going to just take the place of the judge just so he could hear the, the city, what was going on in the city. And so the judge excused himself, and LaGuardia sat behind the bench, and he heard all of the trials that were going on for an entire day there at that particular court. The story is told about a little old lady who was brought up on charges of stealing that day. She was in her late 80s. And she came up to the front of the court, and he asked her why she had been stealing. She'd stolen bread. She'd stolen some bread from a local bakery, and she told the judge, this is late depression, remember? 
This is the period between the Depression and World War II. This is a hard moment in American life. She told the story about how she'd stole bread because she had grandchildren, grandbabies, and they had nothing in the house. And she shouldn't have done it. She knew she shouldn't have done it, but her, children were, her grandchildren were starving and they needed something to eat and she didn't have any way to provide them food and she went out and stole bread and they caught her. LaGuardia looked at the shopkeeper who, was, who had brought charges against her and he asked her, would, would, would the shopkeeper drop the charges on this elderly woman? And the shopkeeper responded back to LaGuardia, if I drop the charges, then I'm just inviting more people to come into my shop and steal. So no, I will not drop the charges. I want to press charges. LaGuardia looked at the little old lady standing there, and he said to her, I must provide justice. It's the law. $10, remember this is the 30s, okay? $10 or 10 days in jail. While LaGuardia was saying $10 or 10 days in jail, he was reaching for his wallet at the same time. You probably can imagine what he did, right? He reached into his own wallet, and he pulled out the $10 fine for this older woman. And he pronounced her fine, her fee, her judgment as paid in full, and then he did an extra step that just shocked everybody in the room. He said, and I fine everybody else in this room 50 cents for living in a city where an elderly woman like this has to go out and steal bread to feed her grandchildren. Bailiff, collect 50 cents from everybody in the room. In that room, in that room that day, there were 20 people who were being brought up on charges. They had their own charges to deal with. Now they had an extra 50 cents on them, all right? That don't sound very fair, right? In that room were police officers who are in charge of bringing justice to those who've done wrong, and they had to pay 50 cents. In that very room are the attorneys who are representing the shop owner, and the shop owner themselves had to pull out the 50 cents to pay. That little old lady left the courtroom that day $49.50 in her pocket. Isn't that amazing? I read that story and I, and I just I reflected back to this passage. Somehow, I can't explain it. I cannot explain it. But I know it to be true. Somehow, our God in His bigness has the ability to be just and merciful at the same time. Now, I don't know whether LaGuardia got it right that day perfectly, but justice was paid in full out of his own pocket that day. And yet, he had mercy for this woman who was experiencing poverty in a deep way, and he had everybody else, whether they wanted to or not, show mercy upon her that day. You know, I've been a Christ follower since I was very young. Oh, man, I've, I've tried to live for God right, and I've done good things for my Lord, and there have been days when I, I lived in rebellion, and I walked so far away from Him, and if I've learned anything that I want to entrust in you, that I want to lean into you on with, from God's Word, is that yes, our God is a God of justice, but never forget that our God is a God of amazing, amazing mercy. And what I want to help you understand today is that Jesus 
came into a world that was filled with judgment. The religious leaders of the day, and not just the religious leaders, religious people, man, they had a way of looking at everybody else who was who were, was not following God like they were less than human, you know, or they weren't pleasing God at all. They looked, at, looked down upon them, and they were, they were judgmental on them. And not only on them, if you were poor, if you were diseased, you must have done something against God. They looked at those people, and they judged them too. And if you haven't figured this out yet, listen carefully. You might want to write it down somewhere. Religion, not relationship, religion has a way of of deadening the soul. Religion, us just following the rules, us just trying to do the right things, adhere to certain beliefs, religion has a way of, it has a deadening effect to the soul. And over time, if you become a very religious person, you can become a very judgmental person. And this radical rabbi comes on the scene, and you know what he's doing? He is showing mercy on everybody that, every, that all the religious people say, I mean, we can't even believe you'd go eat with them, that you'd sit with them. You're talking with a Samaritan woman by the well? Are you kidding me? Do you see how there were so many judgmental eyes and judgmental hearts on Jesus? And Jesus comes with this different understanding about the kingdom. He has a different understanding about what mercy really looks like, not on this earth, but in the kingdom. He has a different understanding of the heart of his father and how his father is so mercy-filled. And his father offers amazing mercy all the time. And so what I want to guard you against, what I want to share from this scripture, is one of the, for me, a top four here of the things that I'm going to leave you with, is you have to be careful. If you've been following Jesus for any length of time, and the older this church gets, by the way, the older this church gets, the more it will have a tendency towards legalism and towards judgmental attitudes. It's, it's just part of the game, okay? The older you get, sometimes if you think you're living right, then you ought to get the fair thing, right? Then it, and let me just bankrupt that idea for a minute. It's a mind game. It's a heart game. It poisons you. I had to fly somewhere recently, and I, I was flying Delta. I got a whole bunch of Delta people in the church, and so I was flying, you know, Delta, and, and um, I hadn't paid for my, I had paid the little buddy pass thing, okay, right? Just a little buddy pass thing. I was flying buddy pass, and so I stood in the line, and I was representing the folks who, you know, who, who were letting me fly on their buddy pass. And because of their years of service, listen to that carefully, because of their years of service, when it was time for me to go onto the plane, which I was pretty late, if you fly buddy pass, you go on late, they told me that I was going to fly first class. I thought, okay, sounds good to me, right? I don't know if that's ever happened to you before, you know? But I walked onto that plane like I was the, most, the richest CEO in the world, you know? And I, I walked straight, you know, in and then around, and I took a left instead of taking a right, you know? And I went towards my first-class seat, that big old seat. And can I just tell you, I sat down in that seat. I, I, I know I was smiling. I know I was. And, and you know what? I thought to myself, this is the poison thing, okay? I thought to myself, hmm. I deserve this, you know. 
Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you have bestowed first class on me, you know. I was sitting there kind of drinking up my ego, which is so stupid, right? Did you remember how I got on the plane? It was a buddy pass. <laughs> and it was somebody else's seniority that got me first class. But there I am, drinking in my favor, right? Oh, I'm so, yeah. And all of a sudden, this little, this little tap comes on the shoulder. And it's God, right? It's God. It's not the stewardess. It's God. It's those tap on the shoulder. And, and the Holy Spirit just quickens me. The first shall be last. And the last shall be first. Can I just tell you that Jesus, if he said it once, I mean, you, you know he said it over and over again, right? He said it over and over and over again. He wanted us to get it. And, and, and can I just confess there's something about it that I don't like, that I don't want, because I think I deserve, like, I'm the first, you know? I'm one of those outside guys that's been working all day long. You know, I became a Christian early, and I'm like, ain't I going to make more than a denarius, you know? You know, I deserve first class. And he'll look at me, and he'll say to me, are you envious? Because I'm generous? What do we learn from this story? You got your pen. I just want to talk to you. I, I want to talk to you for just a couple of minutes about God, what we learn about God, and then finally I want to talk to you about what I think I want us to learn about us, okay? So the first one is this. God has mercy when and on whom he chooses. God has mercy when and on whom he chooses or he wishes. And write out to the side of your margin. Maybe you'd write, uh, the, 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 I'm going to ask you to write a couple of scriptures down for each one of these, okay? Just write the scripture, Romans 9, verse 15. Romans 9, 15 will remind you that God says, I am God. I will show grace on whom I choose to show grace on, and I will show compassion on whom I show compassion on. It was almost as if God, back in time through a prophet, had to remind us that he was God and that he was in control. And it's up to him to finally determine what he does. It's not about fairness. If God wants to show compassion or favor or generosity or mercy or grace, he can do it when and on whom he chooses. And God, by the way, um, there's a side to me that's so thankful for that because he showed me grace and he continues to show me mercy and compassion, right? And there's another side to me that goes, okay, God, I don't understand exactly how you do it and when you do it, but I know you've called me to do it. God will show mercy whenever and on whomever he wishes. So, you know, sometimes you look at some people and you'll go, well, you're a Christian? You didn't, you didn't think they were a Christian. You know, I remember when Chris Gray first started, Oscar's, not Oscar, a great worship leader. You know, we love Oscar. We love you, Oscar. I remember when Chris Gray was up here leading worship for us. People come to our church and, and Chris was, Chris was, uh, he, he was, uh, uh, he had run hard against God for a long time before God finally invaded his life. And so Chris is up here leading worship with all the signs and symbols of a life before he ever came to Christ, you know. He's all tatted up. He's got whatever those big loopy things are in your ears. What are they called? 
Yeah, whatever that is. And, um, and, and, and he couldn't look any different from me, you know? But I love that he looked so different from me. Because for some people, they would go, what's your story? And why do you look like that? And where you been? And, and you, if you know, his story was all over his arms. His story was all over his body. And Chris had been radically saved. And Chris was a reminder to some people that God will show grace and mercy, compassion on whomever and whenever he wants to. He gets to do that, right? He's God, right? And so we have to remember, listen, listen, he's God, not us. Our job is not to be judge, jury, right? That's not our job. Our job is to reflect him. So if he's showing compassion, if he's showing mercy on whomever and whenever he wants to, we ought to do the same, right? It's one of the first lessons I think we learned from this parable. Write this one down. Here's a second lesson that, lesson that we learned. God, God has mercy. Go ahead. God has mercy on those who ask for mercy. Whoo, that's big. By the way, if you showed up to church today needing mercy, <laughs> that's your point right there, right? And by the way, that's probably all of us, okay? We all need mercy. And here's the promise of the Scripture. God has mercy on those who ask for mercy. If you've got your, your, your pen in that margin, just write down this Scripture real quickly. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 and following. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 and following. You'll remember that. That was actually another story of Jesus where he talked about a Pharisee and a tax collector both walking to the temple. You remember that story? A Pharisee and a tax collector were both walking to the temple, and on the way to the temple, the tax collector fell on his knees, and he began to repent because he felt unholy and not able to go to the temple. And the Pharisee looked over at him, and his prayer was, God, thank you that I'm not like that guy. Remember that? I'm not like that guy, that unholy guy. And the Bible says, which, Jesus asked the question, which one of them went home that day having been forgiven? Which one was made right with God that day? It wasn't the Pharisee who was self-righteous. It was the one who fell on his knees and asked for mercy, right? Even though he was so far, far away from God. It's a reminder to me and you that God will show mercy on whomever asks for mercy. Man, do I, I, this is important to me. One of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible is that God's mercies are new to us every day. You know why that's, so, that's important to me? Because I need mercy every day. And the Bible says they're new mercies. So God is merciful to us. And you, you need mercy in your life. If you don't need mercy right now, which you probably do, you're going to need it one day, right? You're going to need it one day. The beauty of the gospel. Ask for it. Ask for mercy from your heavenly Father. I don't know why. I, some days I just tell stories and I didn't plan on them. Um, I'm going to tell you a story that I probably should get permission from my sons to. They're not here, so if you don't come to church, you, yeah, I'm not going to tell their story. <laughs> By the way, they're on the road to Charleston. We're checking our youngest into college today. Um, one of my sons left a loaded gun in the house. Uh, I don't know if I've ever told this story. Left a loaded gun in the house, and uh, one of my other boys didn't know it was loaded. And um, I, I'll go ahead and tell you, Alex left a loaded, uh, strong pellet gun in the house. wasn't a, It wasn't a very, you know, just a strong pellet gun. It can hurt somebody. 
left it loaded in the corner. And Andrew uh, was sitting there watching TV with Abby, and he saw the loaded pellet rifle gun over. He didn't know it was loaded, you know. And he held it up to the TV. He held it up to my 55-inch plasma TV that I had gotten the week before at Christmas, okay? The plasma TV and, and the gun had both been given at Christmas. And I just set it up, and he pulled the trigger. And that thing hit my plasma TV. And Abby tells the story like this. Uh, after he shot my TV and the, and the thing exploded... He took off, dropped the gun, took off, and ran upstairs to his bedroom and shut the door. I'm sure he thought, Daddy's going to kill me, okay? Daddy wasn't home yet. So I get a phone call while he's in the bedroom. Dad, I'm, in, I'm, I'm, at, a, I'm at a shop, okay? I'm at a Dick's Sporting Goods. I get a phone call. Alex is standing there bouncing a basketball. Dad, can I have a basketball? Can I have a basketball? I said, hold on a minute. Andrew's calling. Dad, I got something to tell you. What is it, Andrew? Dad, I, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry. What is it, Andrew? Dad, can I buy a basketball? Dad, can I buy a basketball? Andrew said, Dad, I, I didn't mean to, but I just shot your TV and broke it all to pieces. <laughs> and Alex doesn't know I'm talking to Andrew. Dad, can I have a basketball? I know that Alex left that gun loaded, you know. I dropped the phone. I looked at Alex. Put the basketball up. He was like, <laughs> he took off, you know. We were getting to the house. Oh, my goodness. Abby said Andrew came out of that room, started doing the dishes. He started doing all this stuff. <laughs> cleaning up. He's cleaning up everything. Have I ever told this story? I don't know. This is true, though. Man, I walked in that house. My, my plasma TV. This is not fair. Andrew thought that Jesus had better come back before Dad got back from Dick's. But here's the deal. And I, I did not plan on telling this story today. But any dad or any mom in this room, you know what I'm about to say is true. Oh, there was going to be judgment, right? <laughs> there was going to be some justice. But you know, I really didn't want my son, it was a mistake, it's a costly mistake, it wasn't a good mistake, it was a dangerous mistake, but you know what I really would have loved for my son to know about me, that I can come to dad and say, dad, I am so sorry, and that he would get mercy from me, you know, I'd love to interview him right now and say, son, did you experience more mercy or more judgment from your dad? I think I know what he would say. But every mom and this dad in this room, you know that you want your children to know that if they make a mistake, if they make a misstep, if they blunder, if they fall, and they, every one of them will, right? Every one of our children all have messed up, right? That from us, there may be some justice but there will always be mercy. If you can get that, I think that you now are starting to get the heart of God. Can we put that point back up there again? Oh, Andrew, listen. God has mercy on those who ask for mercy, right? 
Andrew got mercy. And you can have mercy too if you just ask him for mercy. Because it's his heart. He's a good heavenly father. So God, can, God has mercy on whom and whenever he wants to. But also God has mercy on those who ask for mercy. But how about this one? Write this one down. God has mercy on those who show mercy, who give mercy. God has mercy on those people who deliver mercy the way he does. And right next to that scripture, why don't you write the word, the, the, uh, that point, write the scripture, Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. That's another story Jesus told. These are all stories. Jesus told about this guy who owed um, a, a rich ruler a lot of money, and he couldn't pay it back. And the rich ruler sentenced him to prison. He was going to be punished, and he fell on his knees, and he asked for mercy, and the ruler had mercy on him. And then when he was walking out of the the ruler's quarters, he saw somebody who owed him far less money, and he did not show mercy. This is one of those parables of judgment. He did not show mercy. He grabbed him by the throat, and he said, pay up what you owe me. And when the word got back to the ruler, he called him in front of him, and he said, I showed mercy on you? And then I heard that you walked right outside those doors, and you didn't show mercy on somebody else? He brought him back to the sentence he was giving and even more. See, this point reminds us that God has called us to be a mercy-filled people. I'm going to say that differently. Listen, church, God did not call us to be judge and jury. He called us to be merciful like He is merciful. So you learn a lot about God, and you learn a lot about the kingdom here. And you know what we also learn? We learn a lot about ourselves. Man, why do we want fairness so much? You know, if you remember what fairness is. Next time you feel that, when you feel like, that's not fair, remember, it is that mistaken desire to get what you deserve, okay? Can I just talk about us for a minute? Here's the reason I wanted to leave this message with you as one of my last four. My prayer for Harvest Point is that we will always remember why we started this church. That there are some people who are far away from God. Sometimes they've, they've, they've been hurt by the world and, and they've not been able to really understand who God is and trust Him. Sometimes they've been hurt by the church. Sometimes they're mad at God, they're mad at the world. There's just some people who are far away. And God's called us, when we started this church, it's why we exist. To run after, to reach after, to go after God's lost things. And I just want to tell you, whenever we are doing that right, our ministry lines up, matches the ministry of Jesus. Because Jesus came running after, going after, searching after God's lost things. So everybody else looked at Jesus and they said, you know, why do you eat with them and why do you talk with them and why are you doing this? And Jesus, Jesus was so full of mercy and he looked at them and he knew why he, why he had come. And he knew, he saw their judgment, but yet he knew his father's mercy and he displayed his father's mercy. And for us, you know, I don't know if he's here this morning, but there was a person who came into our church in the parking lot just shortly after I did this morning. And 
he said, hey, I don't even know when church starts today, but I didn't want to miss it. He was dressed to the nines, way outdressed me. I don't know if he's here. I don't, I'm not going to point you out, but. You know what? That happens all the time. People see a ch- our church, they hear about our church, they come through our doors for the very first time. And my hope is for any person like that where this might be their very first day, their very first experience with Harvest Point or a church in general, I hope to high heavenly hopes that when they come in this place, they're going to see mercy. They're going to smell mercy. They're going to taste mercy. They're going to feel the mercy in the room. Because our, our goal Our goal is to be like our Father, who has amazing mercy. He's given mercy to us, so we ought to give it away too, right? My prayer for you, Harvest Point. I mean that corporately, and I mean that individually. My prayer for you, Harvest Point, is that you would become mercy. Would you pray with me? Father, would you forgive us for every moment that we've tried to play the fair game? Would you forgive us for trying to get what we deserve? And, and would you just help us to understand your heart, what the heart of our Father's about and the heart of the kingdom? That it's not about fair and it's not about what you deserve. It's about the compassion of a heavenly Father who can show mercy on whomever and whenever he wants to. And that means whenever someone asks for mercy, he can pour it out because he's God. And Lord, I pray for every one of us here today that you would help us be mercy givers. Help us to be mercy speakers. We live in a world of judgment. We live in a world that is so hard. And Lord, we pray that you would give us compassion and grace. Help us to give mercy to our co-workers. Help us to give mercy to our fellow students and our colleagues. Help us to be mercy givers to our own family members. And that can be hard sometimes. But Father, we just want to follow and imitate you. Lord, I pray for our church today. I pray that Harvest Point would always be a church that is founded and based and living in and breathing in mercy. That you wouldn't make us a church about judgment, that you'd Help us to be a church that is offering amazing grace and amazing mercy because we are all sinners and every one of us has needed mercy. May it be so for us, Jesus. May it be so for every one of us, Jesus. In the name of Christ, we pray.